What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Sorry to Interrupt podcast. We're here on a Friday. First time talking this week. We've had a couple of things to do. Get over it. It is life, even in quarantine. Tom, what's up, man? How are you? What's going on, man? I'm excited to do this one. I'm depressed that the series is over, but uh, great ending. Some people are upset about it, which are kind of making me scratch my head. Um, But yeah, I mean, we'll see if we get some real sports back soon. MLB going back and forth. The Blake Snell thing starting to piss me off on a billion different levels from both sides. Um, I think both sides are being a bit greedy there, but I guess we can get into that later. Yeah, we should definitely talk about that later on because it's a huge point of contention, and I think you know we should give our thoughts on it because we really haven't. You know, we've wanted to see what the situation's going to be before we give our thoughts on it, but I think we're getting we're gaining momentum towards something, but we're also I don't know. I, I, I don't know, but I think we can at least talk about stuff. But anyway, man, you mentioned the Jordan Dock. It's over. Some people had problems with it. Let me get your reactions to episodes 9 and 10. Uh, I know it was a little melancholy knowing that it was the last week, but uh, they finished up on a high note. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I thought they were great. The flu game was obviously a lot of fun, um, and it gave a lot of people – they should have called it the food poisoning game, obviously, but – Give a lot of people some insight. Everybody knows about the flu game, but they didn't really know what went into it or on a deeper level. Um, obviously, one of Jordan's all-times great. And then just showing how spent he was in episode 10 and how done he was and how he willed himself to get that win pretty much with that last-minute stretch there. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, and I think you know two of the things that I really wanted to touch on with you, you know, in regards to the last episode's the food poisoning thing to me, the more I think about it, and I see, you know, some people are calling it, you know, Pizzagate. I got to be honest, and I love Jordan, and he's been incredibly candid for this. I We've also seen how maniacal he is, right? Like making up stories about how a player says who was the guy for the bullets and said, you know, good game, and that never even happened. He just needed to find things to motivate him. How in God's name? are five people delivering one pizza to Michael Jordan's room in Utah. Like, how is that getting through security? How is that getting through his guys? Yeah. Like, how is it? I definitely think Michael's room, right? I definitely think him and his trainer over-exaggerate the story. Maybe a little embellishment. Everybody does that when they have great stories to tell. But I for sure think he was sick. I definitely think he he was very ill during the game. It's just sometimes, you know, you over-embellish a little bit. Yeah, I don't think you can deny how sick he was. What I found interesting was when he... Because if you're going to throw that out there, right, and you're going to give a story like that, you know that it's going to be second-guessed, especially in a time where nothing else is going on. And people are dissecting this like it's a game. I, I mean, the five pizza guys delivering to Michael Jordan's room and getting up to his room and knowing it's for him like I don't know security I feel like that can't I feel like that can't happen so if they're having a if Jordan's going to bring that up I mean the flu game is a legacy game of his right like that's in NBA lore that he played with the flu I I thought it was really weird how he just completely disregarded that and said it wasn't the flu it was food poisoning and this is how because that story's got some cracks to it in my opinion I think the flu game just has a better ring to it, and we're always going to call it the flu game. He could, he can change it up all he wants. He knows that everybody's going to call it the flu game. Just 
rolls off the tongue a little bit better than the food poisoning game, in my opinion. It's always going to be known as the flu, in, as the flu game. So I don't think his legacy. I think his legacy definitely got better. Um, if if it could be possible, I don't think anything really hurt him. Um, I mean, if you want to nitpick this, sure. But I still look at the bigger picture and say he was really sick during that game. I mean, obviously, I know the story was most likely. 95% bullshit. Maybe he just ate a bad pizza and, and got food poisoning. Or maybe he, I don't know, it was something else. But regardless, he was sick. Tell the story you want to tell. None of us were there to prove it anyways. Definitely bullshit, but it is what it is. It is what it is. And I'm not even really nitpicking. I just found it so interesting because, I mean, like you said, there's no doubt that he was obviously in a tremendous amount of physical pain. And the fever and that he was, you know, bowled over, throwing up the night of the, the night before the game and the morning of and oh that's obviously you know you can't second guess that but you you certainly can question the story and and with how maniacal he is i mean i i think that it was probably something to just motivate him more or something like these fucking fans like couldn't you picture jordan thinking saying like i'm gonna say that this was food poisoning i i believe it's food poisoning fuck it and this motherfucker po- poisoned my pizza that's how bad they want me to lose and I'm not going to let it happen like I feel like that's some kind of like crazy thing Jordan would have done I mean to sure to get himself but, in the right spot sure but again who cares it's he went out and dropped what 41 of the game exactly so yep. who cares they won and whatever Jordan's got to do to make himself great yeah exactly and the second thing I want to bring up to you is the elephant in the room of would they have won a seventh championship now before you go into it just a quick you know, overview here. The next season was the strike shortened season, so there was only going to play about 50 games. However, they were all packed in a lot tighter with a lot less days off, and the playoffs were played with basically one day in between games instead of a few. So, with that being said, could they have won a seventh championship if they kept it together, or was it the perfect amount? I absolutely think they could have, and I, I'm from the I'm from the camp of. Let them keep going until they lose it. Don't don't take that opportunity away from them. You know what I mean? Um, I think they they absolutely could have. Um, even though it was a lockout season, they were playing, you know, double headers basically in a basketball sense, playing almost every single day. Um, and that team was a little bit older. I mean, you see Jordan will everybody to win. Can you really doubt it? I mean, you're you're a fool to doubt Michael Jordan based off of his being six for six, never playing in the game seven in a final and all that. And, and I get that. I, I do look, though, at that 98 season, and I think that it had some magic to it because they all knew it was the last dance. You know, Jordan's legs were cooked. I do agree been, with you, but at the same time, you talk about how Jordan cooks up storylines like it's nothing to motivate himself. I'm sure they could have done that in 1999. And keep in mind, the Knicks were the ones who made the NBA Finals, and he owned them, and he owned Ewing. He did. But, you know, the Pacers, they were the better team in 98. You even saw Reggie Miller. Like, we, we, we were the better team. That sucked. And then you had a Spurs team that had a young Duncan. And, I, and I, I kind of am happy with the way it played out. I agree teams should be given a shot to ride it out. but you know, Yeah, I'm not mad the, about it given, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, whatever. I'm not mad about the way it played out 20-plus no. years later. 
but you do agree you or you are saying that they that you would have put your money on them winning a seventh or a seventh title yeah i mean come on it's like it's like belichick and brady patriots i mean you bet against them like i did a couple years ago picking them and i look like an idiot and i'll (laughs) never i mean they're obviously broken out but i would never do it again i have to witness them with my own two eyes lose before before i do that yep yeah, I guess retrospectively looking back, is it seems like no matter how great teams are, they all kind of have that year where the magic dies. I mean, you look at even like last year's Warriors team. I mean, they were the better team even with Durant out. But then he comes back for Game Five. He gets hurt. They lose a couple games that they nor- that they normally would have won. And you know, their their dynasty is over. Right. Well, and, I mean, their dynasty's on pause, in my opinion. They're going to have a lottery pick. Come, everybody's coming back except Durant. Um, but, I mean, I think there's a little bit of fate involved in all of this because, I mean, last year, what the series go? Six? Yeah. And the only reason why I think the Warriors lost that series was because Clay got hurt. Right, but he got hurt down the stretch in Game Six, and I think the final like seven or eight minutes, and they were already pretty much losing that game. Like you never got a sense that they were going to win that game. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, again, I think it just comes down to a little bit of fate as well on how these yeah, teams lose. Um, so, I mean, that's my opinion. Look at the Patriots last year going down to the Titans of all teams. Would you have believed that if I told you the year before? No, and that's kind of what I'm saying is like we we don't doubt these teams because of their legacy and their pedigree, but I do think once you give a chance to see how things play out, you're kind of realizing that it's just not the same. And I really, even with the extra months of rest, I do really question whether they would have had the stamina at that point in their careers, no matter how willful they were. Seems like they just laid, laid it all out on the line there in Utah in Game Six in '98, and uh, I just don't know if they would have had enough in the tank to to play that compact schedule in '99. I agree with you. I mean, I guess that's the little bit of credit you can give uh, Jerry Krause is that he made it best for the legacy sense. Um, but everybody still, I think he gets killed the most in this entire documentary. Just breaking him and up Pippen, and not giving right? him a chance. Pippen did it to himself, though. Everything Pippen seems to be upset about. I come out looking at Pippen, thinking he's better. I mean, in that game six, in the last, in the last dance, basically in '98, um, when he guts it out, when the dude literally can barely even stand upright because of a bad back, I think he looks great. Um, I mean, we already knew about when he refused to go back in, and what was it, '94? Mm-hmm. So we already knew about that. Um, I think, if anything, this made his legacy better. But he comes out complaining about the way he's the way he's um, portrayed in this series, and it's like everything that made him look bad, he did it on his own. When it comes to him holding out in what year was that? In the '98 season when he held out halfway through. Yeah, he had to, he liked to have the surgery. Yeah. He said he said that he said that he didn't want to ruin his summer. Those were his own words. He could have made up some cockamamie story and said that uh, that he had to wait to have the surgery. But no, he elected himself with his own voice to say, "Yeah, I I 
I didn't want to ruin my summer and I wanted to stick it to, to the administration. And I wanted to stick it to the execs because they had screwed me over for all these years. And the same thing when it comes to the shot in 1994. In the, or, or I'm sorry, when he refused to... When he refused to come out, come back into the game, when Kukoc hit that shot against the Knicks, he said on this documentary, bold face, I would do it the same way if I could do it again. So what's he mad about? Yeah, I, I, I'm, a, I'm with you a hundred percent on Pippen. Um, I mean, I think yeah, he does come out looking pretty bad for those two things that he said. But who can you be mad at but yourself? You said him. Right, exactly. Accountability is a big thing here. You know, the Horace Grant situation is very interesting. Horace Grant's more interesting because it's not like he said it. He's vehemently denying that he's the one who basically was in the Jordan Rules book leaking stuff. Exactly. Yeah, he said he never told Sam Smith that stuff. I don't know if we'll ever know the truth. Probably not. I mean, I think that's what made this documentary so cool because it you you come out with really only one definitive thing: Michael Jordan's the goat, and don't ask any questions. Other than that, a lot of the material and subject matter from this ten-part doc, there's a lot to speculate about because Jordan also didn't help himself so much by saying by just flat out saying that a lot of those stories quote unquote were made up out of his own by his own devices to motivate him for things that's yeah, why I you could, about the you could claim story. The, you could claim the grant thing was probably made up to motivate himself because the guy was playing for the magic against jordan exactly man and that's what's interesting about it there's so many things to dissect from this documentary that you know we could do a five-hour podcast literally just talking about conspiracies and whatnot i think at the end of the day it was a great distraction we all really needed it it was magnificently done um and i get the sense that you know it's not your traditional documentary because it's told through the lens of only jordan and you know nobody else really got a chance to defend themselves especially jerry Krause. um (laughs) where is jerry Krause deserving of more blame of more fame, or do you think it's all fair? All fair. I mean, how many times do I? How many times do we have to talk about the fact that the GM doesn't really have that much to do with it? The GM's not going to shoulder that much of the blame, and he's not going to get that much of the fame. It's the head coach and it's the team. How many times do you look at it where a team set up terribly and the GM doesn't really shoulder the blame? The only time recently that I can truly remember the GM shouldering the blame is this Mookie Betts trade in baseball. Yeah. Because uh, who is it, Dombrowski? Uh, Heim Bloom, actually, now. Well, no, but the one who is shouldering the blame is Dombrowski because he gave Chris Sale a contract when his arm's practically falling off. David Price, and you go down the line, and now they can't hold on to Mookie Betts who's probably the second-best baseball player in the game right now. Yeah, that's true. Uh, But aside from that, there's been – I could probably go up and down every single season and and point out reasons why GM should be blamed more, but they're not. And and that's probably why they don't shoulder as much of the the glory either. It's the coach and it's the team. That's just the way it goes. Yep, and a lot of people came out and said, you know, after watching this whole thing, you know, it is not – an organization that wins a championship it is the players definitively it is the players and the coach with the coach as an extension of it exactly because they keep it all together i mean they're the ones performing they're the ones who 
you know, swallowing pride and egos and whatever to get the job done. And the coach has to massage all of these egos and, you know, glue it all together even when things seem fractured. I mean, how many it's times wild. do you see a franchise that is a laughing stock, but then they fall into a guy like a Michael Jordan who basically fell into their lap because um, – same thing as Porzingis for the Knicks. I mean, not that I'm comping them, but Jackson gets all this credit for drafting Porzingis. He he didn't want Porzingis. He wanted Jaleel Okafor. Right. He just didn't have a chance to pick him. The same thing as the Bulls. They were an absolute laughing stock. And then Sam Bowie gets picked by Portland, and Michael Jordan falls into their laps. So what? Are, I I don't understand why these organizations are gonna beg for credit when sometimes it's just luck and circumstance. Exactly, and you know what I thought was interesting was, I think it was episode nine when, uh, you know, when Kerr is up there at the podium, and uh, and Phil was too, and Phil was you know taking jabs at Kraus. I mean, they just didn't give a shit because they knew it was over and there was nothing they could do about it. And man, the, the level of animosity that the players and Phil had for for Kraus and vice versa, and the fact that they still put their there he goes aside and got a championship against a great Utah team. I mean, that really is just the epitome of greatness, in my opinion. It and I just, think uh, that doesn't happen. I mean, listen, Jerry Cross doesn't have the ability to defend himself and give his side of the story as to why. But I mean, Reinstorf is still alive, so he could give his side of the story why he wanted to break it up. And I think he looks terrible because he didn't have shit to say. There was no explanation, right? No, he there was, was a, awful. There was no explanation as to why they broke it up. I mean, he at the very least could say, well, this was Jerry's idea and I went along with it. You're the fucking owner of the team. Like, you can say, no, I'm re-signing Phil and, and whatever. But And the other thing where I don't feel bad for Kraus at all is, why do you do that at the beginning of the season? At the All-Star break, stick to your guns. Actively sh- shop Scottie Pippen and, and court a new coach who is, what, the Iowa State head coach. Yep. All this shit. You could have had your whole breakup plan in the back of your mind, but just wait till the end of the season. He made it as hard on that group as it could possibly be, but you saw that they became their rallying cry. They said, "Fine, fuck him. You know, we're going to win in spite of him, and we're going to, and we're not going to give him an opportunity to get up from this. Because if we lose, he he's right, and we're not going to let him be right." Absolutely, man. It's awesome, Doc. I miss. I, I'm gonna miss it this weekend. Um, yeah, and, and you know, I think got. I think the quarantine and and all this that's going on, I think it really helped this Doc because if if this ten a ten part series is tough, I mean, I know it's MJ and whatnot, but if we have a million other things going on with our lives, maybe we catch it on Netflix the second time around or whatnot. But the fact that there was nothing going on really blew this thing up and and made it must-see TV every single Sunday night. Oh, yeah, man, absolutely. And, I mean, I think we probably would have talked about it, but we would have talked about it for maybe five to ten minutes at the end of our Monday rundowns or something. You know, like we would not have been dissecting it like this and no no other, you know, podcast or talking heads would have done it either. It would have just been kind of like a footnote. And I'm glad that it got its due. I mean, obviously, I wish the circumstances weren't the way they were but for in for just the best case scenario for the doc and the success yeah. of it this was best case scenario for because of the exposure it got literally nothing else on that's brand new 
Nope. And, and people okay. are fucking starving for for any type of normalcy. Oh yeah, man. Uh, it's it, it is. Uh, it's just so weird. And All right, so that segues us into nicely. We watched another game, and it felt like it was a real playoff game during some of it. Yeah, we watched so, Game Seven of the 2000 Western Conference Final between the Lakers and Blazers. So scale awesome one to ten game. before we jump into this, Sean. You seem like you really got a hard dick over this one because I can't even get can't even get a word in edgewise over you. What would you give? Uh, what would you give the documentary? I guess out of ten. A ten. A ten. Yeah. That means zero flaws. You're giving it a hundred percent. I've got a hard on for the doc. <laughs> I mean, yeah. do you think you're giving it – I'm shocked you gave it a 10. Do you think you're giving it a 10, just all the circumstances wrapped in, the fact that you know, you're know you cooped up in your house, I'm cooped up in mine, you love sports, you're desperate for it, all this shit? You think that has something to do with it? Yeah, I think circumstance always plays into it. Uh, I, I think. What do you think you would have given it like an 8 if, if we were in normalcy and this came on during the finals? I think just you got to see Jordan in a way you've never seen him before. Yeah, I think that warrants a 10 alone right there. The greatest athlete of all time or one of them. People don't – he doesn't talk to people. His life has been completely private. Mm -hmm. So if if you're getting him to look at these stories, just the pure reaction that he gets from watching the iPad of other people's comments in an era – of basketball where, you know, the sport rose to unprecedented heights. I think just getting the greatest player of all time to just go and tell us things that we had just accepted as facts and we see the true sides of him and then you get all the ancillary pieces around it. Yeah, I think it's a 10. You Couldn't agree? agree more. No, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. But let's jump into this playoff game before we talk about some of the realities that are going on around us yet again. So what was this? 2000, Game 7, mm-hmm. Western Conference Finals. The Lakers, in my opinion, steal one here. This game was a really fun game to watch. That's why I was ready to get to it. <laughs> yeah. I, was just, I was excited about it because, you, you know, you, you mentioned how we're starved for sports. And this is a game where it was two really great teams and – it was, you know, one of the marquee franchises, if not the marquee franchise in the NBA, getting to starting its next run of excellence. And um, you're right, the Lakers totally stole this game. Uh, just a quick series lead up to this. The Lakers uh, won game one. The Blazers won game two. The Lakers take a three-to-one three, three to one series lead by winning games three and four. And the Blazers come back and win games five and six, setting up a game seven in Staples Center. Yes, sir. Um, to start off, it was I think for basically the first for the first half, it was all Blazers. I mean, they, they go all, into halftime with what a fourteen point lead. Uh, yeah. Um, actually, it was only a three point game at the half, but they 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 dominated the third quarter. I'm Absolutely. sorry. Yeah, it was a fourteen Kick point lead to to end the uh, to end the third quarter. Uh, I mean, you hear one of the color analysts say to win this game, they got to get the ball to Shaq. Right at the beginning, he says that. It's like, thanks, bro. Appreciate that <laughs> one. 
We got more Bill Walton. <laughs> we did. I thought he was better in this game. He was a little bit better. Um, he wasn't like vehemently like just harping on one player the whole time or you know on on each team he wasn't just like shitting on one player. He was giving more color out analysis like he should. Like you're hired gonna, to do. I'm going to say this. I might have had a hard on to about the doc. I might have had a hard on to get to talking about this game. Nobody has a bigger hard on than Walton did for Scotty Pippen. Oh <laughs> yeah, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Scotty, Scotty, who, I mean, he's got a lot of minutes under his belt. He's got six rings, probably, what, 12 seasons at this point, 12 to 14. Um, Mm -hmm. He had a good game for somebody who's in one of the last years of his career. Real good game defensively on on Shaq helping out uh, on the outside and then scoring when needed and setting up teammates. I thought he was really good. I did too. Uh, I mean, he played 43 minutes, 12 points, shot three of 10, made two threes, got 10 boards. I mean, he it was a Scottie Pippen game. Yep, absolutely. And I was saying this to you right before, right before we started the pod. The Lakers, in 2000, the Lakers obviously had the two best players on the floor. They had Shaq basically going into or in the middle of his prime, and they had a young Kobe who is just entering, basically figuring out what he could be against the two best players of Rashid, who was probably just entering his prime. Obviously, he was great on Detroit winning that series in 2004. Um, and they had Scotty, who was basically on the back nine. But aside from that... When you're talking pure roster past that, give me the give me the Portland Trailblazers. They were stacked top to bottom. So deep. So deep on this team. And, and I think the biggest thing is, and I also mentioned this to you before we got on, was, um, you know, I, I think that all of these players, you look at the names and you think this is a dream team, but none of them were at their peaks. I mean, to your point, like you said, Scotty was already a lot of tread on the tires. And remember that awful back injury he had two years before in Chicago during the last dance season. And then you've got Sabonis, who, you know, he was over the hill, even though he still played well. And then you had guys like Jermaine O'Neal, who hardly played at all, ended up being a potential Hall of Famer. And Rasheed Wallace wasn't quite at his apex yet. So they're these guys were at different stages. And you're just scratching the surface on naming guys. I mean, you have Smith on, uh, on the outside. Um, he's he was a multi-time All-Star with Atlanta, and he had a hell of a game as well. He did. I he, mean, he, I mean, he took he, over in the third quarter. Yeah, he was the reason why they were leading by fourteen. They got Shrimp, who's in there, had a great game, but he's a little over the hill as well. Um, and then Bonzi Wells didn't really come into his own, and there's a few other players where you hear their names and you're like, oh, and they were either too old or too young at the time. Yeah, Damon Stoudemire. Yeah, Damon Stoudemire Greg, had some Greg good Anthony years with on this team. Greg Anthony passed his prime. Damon Stoudemire pre-prime with Toronto with uh, the Vince Carter days. I mean, he he played really well in the series, but I think a few more years' experience, they beat the Lakers. The Lakers just caught this team at the perfect time. They did, and I think you know one thing that they had to their advantage here was Shaq was very anxious for his for his first title. After losing yeah. in 95 to the Rockets, he knew that he, this was his best chance to get back to it. Absolutely. And nothing is for granted. So, you know, it, it was not, interesting to see how this game unfolded, though. 
Yeah, and, and not Shaq's best game, but early he goes to work in the post where he's not scoring a lot. I don't think he had too many field goals in this game, but he's getting every single big man that touched him in foul trouble. Oh, yeah, man. Uh, absolutely. And, but it took a while, like you said. He only had one touch in the first four minutes. Yeah. And, but once he know. got going and they started feeding him, he wasn't really scoring. He didn't really start scoring until the third and then obviously in the fourth quarter. But every touch he got, I mean, I think every single big man, every single center on um, Portland had two or more fouls by halftime. Yeah, you're 100% right, man. I mean, Sabonis just was having a hard time with him. Dennis Shrimp was having a hard time with him. Brian Grant was having a real hard time with him. And then O'Neal. bring Jermaine O'Neal a little bit. Exactly. It, it was a tough It was a tough thing. I mean, you can't – he was probably what? One Is he one of the three most dominant enforcing big men in the history of the NBA? You put him with Olajuwon and probably Kareem? <laughs> no, I put him – Bill I, Russell? I mean, you want to talk about enforcing when you're not? We're not talking about the best centers of all time, but you're just talking about give me the ball and the block, and I'm going to get you a bucket. It's probably number one, Will Chamberlain. Number two, Shaq. Yeah. I mean, I then you go fair. a little bit further into Kareem, who's a little more finesse. Obviously, Hakeem, same thing, a little more finesse, and then Russell's just if if I need to win a game, I'm starting Bill Russell. The guy's got eleven fucking titles and would do anything to win. He'd cut off his leg to win. Exactly, yeah, and that was what my my thought was watching Shaq in this game. I was like, nobody can do anything with him. But you know what? But, if you watch Shaq in the 2000s, this was probably one of his worst games. It because was. most times, I mean, like he's going into these Western Conference Finals and Finals averaging 35 points and 15 rebounds. And what did he end up with in this game? Uh, Shaq ended up in this game, dude. 18 points, 5 of 9 field goals, 9 rebounds only. But here's where I love it. That's a mediocre eight, game. Went 8 of 12 from the line, though. That's yeah, a, yeah, that's, game that's a great contribution. But when we're talking Shaq, I'm thinking if, they need to, if they're going to win a game, he needs to get over 30 points. And the thing that I was really upset with that Portland kind of strayed away from was Pippen being the roamer and just kind of not letting him get his spot on the block and swarming him on defense because I get the fact that Shaq is one of the all-time passers. He's a great passer out of the post, but wouldn't you rather make one of those other Lakers hit a shot as yeah, opposed to Shaq getting you in foul yet. trouble? Kobe had a bad game. Let's just face facts. He was first-team all-defense, and I think he deserved it, especially in the performance that he put on today. Great defensive performance. And he had a couple of good plays, including the one that I mean, you, I have it written down that everybody talks about. It's on all the playoff highlight reels, the crossover on Scotty and the lob to uh, Shaq with about 41 seconds left. But you look at the Lakers, and it's like, not aside from, aside from a few players, really, I mean, Brian Shaw banked in one three and hit another. Fox is terrible. I mean, Horry hit, I think, one, maybe two threes. One and then, three, yep. And then who the only other player that was good was um what's his face? From Michigan. I'm trying to think Glenn of his Rice. Name. Glenn Rice. He had a hell of a game, but it's like Brian Shaw is not hitting shots. Nobody. So it's like yeah, swarm Shaq and, and then close out on your shooters, and I think you might win this game. I couldn't agree more. I think Shaq was a little too passive for me. 
You think so? Until even... until what? Late in the third when he really started going at it? Well, I think it just took him a while to realize that, listen, you're doing a great job by knocking these guys out of the game through foul trouble, but you're not you're not intimidating them in the sense of, you know, they that was they were fine living with that because of their depth. They couldn't go on a drought though, which they eventually did. I'm speaking of the Blazers. Yeah. Where because, you know, Shaq just wasn't he wasn't making enough contributions. That's to me. I think Kobe took a lot of horrendous shots, probably took opportunities away from Shaq. But early on, I mean, Shaq's getting the ball in positions to score, and he's looking to pass a lot more. Dude, he didn't score a field goal until, like, 24 minutes of action. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, that's, that to me is, yeah, great defense, fine. Swarming him, sure. But that's just too passive for me. I mean, it was a bad game because I think he just wasn't, until that third quarter, especially more so in the fourth, he just wasn't Shaq Diesel. Not at all. He was not the Superman that we know him as. Um, so let's look at it from a, one, a half-to-half perspective. So we'll, we'll go through the first half. All Blazers, in my opinion. And the refs, I mean, I understand how difficult it is to referee Shaq because there's times where people are bouncing off of Shaq and he's just making a fundamental move, but it looks like he tried to kill the guy. And so you don't know whether to call it an offensive foul, defensive foul, or just let them play. And then there's other times where Shaq is so strong that these guys could literally be assaulting him in the paint, and it doesn't look like a foul because he's just not flopping or anything. But there were some tic-tac fouls called on Sabonis and a few others on Shaq. Yeah, for sure. Rashid got a couple cheapies in there too Yeah, um, I, that I don't necessarily agree that he should have picked up. You're right. He's probably the most difficult player to referee, possibly especially peak Shaq of all time. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes that was an advantage to him, and sometimes that was a disadvantage. So I think it all ends up even in the end. Because there's a lot of times you watch Shaq, and there is two guys just like murdering him, and he doesn't get the call. Let me ask you this. Were you surprised that Phil didn't take Shaq out in the second quarter after he picks up his third foul. Because that's a gamble. Because if he picks up his fourth, he's out of the game until the fourth quarter. No, I just think that's experience from Phil. I mean, being the coach of the Bulls and getting six rings. I'm not surprised. If if it was another coach aside from Phil and maybe Pat Riley that didn't trust their players as much or hadn't won before, I would have been really surprised. Like if Mike Dunleavy on the other side, if it, if it was – Sheed or, or one of those guys and he didn't pull him out, I'd be shocked. But I think this was some type of Zen master, whatever you want to call it, by Phil. And it ended up working out for him. So, no, I wasn't really surprised at all. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna kind of take the other way with that just because of the time in which he picked up that third foul. It was with six minutes and nine seconds left. So you still have a half of the, a half of the quarter to play with. And the Lakers just also weren't time. that deep at big man. I mean, they had Horace Grant, but he was way over the hill. And they had uh, some other backup center. I forgot his name. But I just think that Sheed and, and whoever else went in there were going to torch those guys. And I think I think Phil was really worried about that. I think so, too. And that was a time where, you know, they were trading runs there for a little bit. Because you mentioned it felt like it was all Portland. It did, but the Lakers hung in there. I mean, the Lakers had a little, they had a little run there, a 7-0 run. That forced Portland to call a timeout with 4.30 left in the half. 
and then Kobe hits that, has a dunk on that last possession to make it a three-point game, and you feel like they're getting killed, but they dodged a bullet with Shaq not picking up a fourth. You see the fouls piling up for, for um, Portland, and to be down only three when it feels like they should be down 30 uh, was really, I think, a huge moral win to, to head into the third quarter. Yeah, absolutely. I think just the fact that um, just the fact that Shaq didn't get that fourth is a win in itself. Totally agree. So, anything else from the first half that really that really stood out to you? I was just really impressed with Portland and, and the runs that they went on offensively. How good they were. Um, I was just a little disappointed in how wild Bonzi Wells was, but. I think that guy thought that he could score on anybody. He's like the original version of Deion Waiters. <laughs> That's a great comp. Yeah, I mean, I think you don't want to put the muzzle on those guys, right? Like, you want to let them go because that's part of what makes them great. I know Walton was referencing uh, his performance in Game 6 that was really good that helped them force the Game 7. And you don't really want to take the leash off those kind of guys. You want to let them just go for yeah. better or worse sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but that's pretty much all I, I thought of for the first half. But just watching this game, trying to trying to stay um, like I'm in the moment, I thought Portland was going to run away with this one, even though they were only up three. It felt like they should have been up more to me heading into half. Kind of had the same feeling as you. You know, the Lakers are, are, are hanging around, and you don't want to give a team like that you know, Portland had a couple opportunities there to step on their throat, and they never did. And I think, you know, you, you, you explain, and when we get into the third quarter and into the fourth, really, you expect you explain the heart of a champion, right, and the experience that somebody like a Phil Jackson has. You know, yeah. you play to win. You don't play not to lose. And I think Portland, as this game goes on here, really played not to lose. For sure. And there's one stretch that we're probably going to point out in a little bit that, that cost them this game. Yeah, I mean, that fourth quarter was crazy. But before we get there, the Lakers take a 49-48 lead with the six minutes left in the third quarter. It's their first lead of the game. That's basically that's basically when Shaq got going. I mean, he caught a couple post plays where he just went, went at the guys. I think it was like three straight or whatnot where he just went at them and, and um, either drew a foul or just had two easy hook shots. Yep, and he was – like you said, the aggressiveness was starting to come back, right? Like, okay, this is my game. This is my shot here. Glenn Rice made a three-point play to give the Lakers that lead. And then what the hell happened? Because momentum was totally on their side. And then Portland just goes off, particularly Steve Smith. Well, I think a major problem with that, and obviously it was a problem throughout his career, was Kobe just going at quadruple teams and not trusting his teammates. And I mean, I know you can say the same thing for Jordan, but it doesn't really seem to be as much of a stain on Jordan's resume. Um, being, I guess, quote-unquote a ball hog, but Kobe really ball hogged it in the end of the third quarter in this game. He and did. it didn't help at all. Like, I know he drew a couple fouls, but unfortunately he missed the free throws, and he was just trying to do it all himself and play hero ball. The hero ball is a really good point. You knew that that was kind of in his game, right? I mean, he was – it was going to be the Kobe show. And the reason they won was going to be because of him. 
Mm-hmm. And Shaq's not really able to get into a flow in this game, even though he had a couple spurts. The last one that you talked about that gave him the opportunity to take that lead early in the third. And the rest of the guys, just in Kobe's opinion, weren't talented enough. They had some depth. They had some experience, but they needed firepower. And Kobe was just going to say, I'm going to do it. Come hell or out of the water, we're going to win this game because of me. And <laughs> it was the worst thing in the world because – Portland then was able to go on the sustained 18-2 run after the Lakers take this lead. Smith's draining threes left and right. Rasheed is just taking advantage of every mismatch. And they're up 13 to end the quarter. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then they they extend their lead. But looking into the fourth quarter, every single game that we've recapped so far, we've looked at the reasons why the losing team lost the game. Portland goes on an 0-for-14 run until 2 minutes and 48 seconds when I believe oh. Rashid scores a final, finally scores a basket. This is why they lose a game. Ice cold, and I believe the Lakers went on like a 21-0 to run during that. Dude, the Blazers started the quarter shooting 1-of-12. Yeah. 0-for-14 <laughs> is one of the worst stretches I've seen in a playoff game ever. And it's crazy because the talent was there. These guys just, they couldn't make a shot. They also weren't taking great shots either. No, they weren't. Rashid is shooting fadeaway jumpers over an outstretched arm of Shaq multiple times in that or, or... contested Bonzi Wells throwing the ball up at the basket with Kobe and two other guys on him or, or some other bad offense, period. Did you feel like once Sabonis fouled out, it was completely over? I mean, the momentum was gone, but you figured as long as you had Sabonis who could make a big shot and maybe get Shaq into that sixth foul, once he went out, it was just kind of like, ah, shit, there we go. Well, the other big thing that you didn't mention about Sabonis that – um, is interesting, and the reason why he was so important in this game was the fact that I know he didn't make a lot of them, but just the threat of him hitting that outside shot. I mean, you saw Shaq at the top of the key almost the entire game. Shaq only had one block in this game. The guy's averaging like over four a game. So that was another big thing was being able to let guys like Sheed work in the paint because you have um, Sabonis dragging Shaq out of the paint. And once he fouled out, Shaq could kind of settle in the paint, and then he became the dominant force that he was inside. That's a great observation by you. Yeah, that's a great point because Sabonis is one of those guys that was a stretch center. I mean, he was in, not necessarily from three, but well, that he shot could hit just that like 18 footer. And his release was crazy, too. Like, it was just like hardly getting off the ground. But you're right, and that made. And that, you know, left Ron Harper on Rasheed Wallace, you know, where, where she was like to your She ran the paint the whole day. He did. And But and then you right. see Sabonis you see Sabonis out. come out and Shaq the first thing after Sabonis comes out, they go down, she posts up, and Shaq smacks a ball into the third row. Yep. You know? I, I mean And you know Wallace just wanted no quick. part of that matchup. Oh, yeah. I mean who would? Exactly. That's when she. I mean, that's when an older she would start pulling the ball out more and shooting eighteen footers and posting up whoever's defending him. Right. And the other, I think, big thing that we haven't discussed enough yet is just how completely useless 
Jermaine O'Neal and Brian Grant were on this team. And Brian Grant had had a good year before that, but he wasn't a threat defensively or offensively and Jermaine O'Neal was I think I, if he wasn't a rookie he was really young he was and either a first year player or a rookie and I mean it's been talked about before but Jermaine O'Neal was just terribly misused by this Portland team I mean he didn't really start to shine until he got to Indiana and now he's a borderline Hall of Famer exactly and, and, and I think he'd be a shoe in for the Hall of Fame had he got a better start to his career Exactly. When you rewatch some of these games, you really get. He was an early draft pick, though, out of high school. He got drafted in '96 by Portland. Okay. He honestly dwindled on that bench for four years. Then he, he goes. Fell out. What? Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. He, well, then he goes to Indiana, and from 2002 to 2007, he's a six-time All-Star, All-NBA second team, two-time All-NBA third team. So. I mean, imagine having that against Shaq because you're four years into your NBA career. You should start be able to be coming, coming into your own. And I blame coaching in the front office for that because they just terribly misused him. I agree with you on that. I also look at the way that this roster was constructed, and we see it in the NBA all the time. When young, talented players don't get off to the start that we – think they should or that the organization thinks they should they can fall out of love quick and then when you start putting proven veterans on this team and you have depth of the position i mean brian grant the year before they were talking about how he had just you know played himself into a great into a great role player obviously you had some bonus so jermaine o'neill probably fell out of love never got a chance to come back because players were in front of him who were proven and better. And then you don't really know what you have until it's gone. And you're right. It's funny watching these games because we look at these players screaming at why aren't they doing this or where are they here? or Why are they in this position? It, it, you don't, you know, in the moment you're, you can't realize that this is a guy that hadn't lived up to potential yet and was just rotting on the bench due to, you know, inactivity of better players. I wouldn't say better players. Maybe, maybe more at the time. players, but more ta- more talented is Jermaine O'Neal every single time. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, rotting is a perfect word because that's literally what he. I mean, if this was his rookie year or even his second year, fair game. But this is his fourth year. Don't tell me that he's that Brian Grant is better than him. Because well, look you know what he went on to do in Portland. Sabonis, fine. If you want to start Sabonis, fine. But Brian Grant was a zero throughout his entire career on offense. And he was undersized against Shaq in this series. I think Jermaine O'Neal, if you coach him upright, and we're arguing fucking nothing here because he wasn't, but if he was coached upright, he's a great offensive player, and he can also at least guard Shaq a little bit better than Granted, who was just getting pushed around. Listen, I'm with you. The only reason I said better was because they're better at the time. You know, we say that now, but, I I mean, listen, they probably didn't know what Jermaine O'Neal, you have to go back and probably read the history of his career more than just looking at how he transformed once he became a pacer. Well, no, I did look at the history of his career, and and the reason why that he was better as a pacer was just because they gave him the opportunities. I mean, if you look at minutes played, it's just – it's like – Fresh, it's like uh, rookie year, 13, sophomore year, 12, 
you know, and, and it goes from there, 12 to 13 minutes played, and it's just like, give this guy a fucking shot in the regular season and see what he can do. And obviously it shoots up when he gets to Portland finally, and and he becomes what he became, but I just think it's a terrible, just a screw job by Portland. But again, listen, they're in the conference finals, and they had um, Sabonis, so you got to play Sabonis. Yeah, no doubt. I, I think just the thing is with the NBA, I mean, we see it as much now as ever is these guys that get put into situations and teams give up on them fast. And, you know, we saw that with D'Angelo Russell. I mean, we saw that with, I mean, going back to that time, you see that with Jalen Rose. I mean, his career didn't get started until probably six years into his career because he had, he was just sitting in in Denver Denver doing nothing. So I, I don't know. It's always that damn it's it's so easy to look back and say what the fuck's wrong with you. And well, you like I said earlier, hindsight's always twenty twenty, man. Sure, exactly. And Jermaine O'Neal, I mean, if he if he's Jermaine O'Neal, they win this game in a landslide, right? They win this game. They probably go on to win the NBA Finals against the Pacers, and he's a Hall of Famer. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Now he's just on the borderline. Yeah, I think with the NBA, we had this conversation a couple weeks ago, right? Like he's getting in. I think so. Maybe think not on the first it. ballot, but, you know, I, I think he gets in. Okay, Sheed's so a first ballot Hall of Famer, right? Sheed, yeah, for sure. I mean, he was a he was crazy. I, I, what was that stat that Walton gave yesterday in the game? Oh, that he had 32 it? technical fouls got <laughs> thrown out of the series, and the guy and the number two technical foul guy had less than half of what less he had? Less than half of it. And and then, that's were... the reason why they created that rule in the NBA where if you got over a certain number of technical fouls in a season, you get suspended for two games. Because of Sheed. They should have just called it the Sheed rule. They should have. I just love that. They're like, well, he, he's done a good job. I mean, he's only had one this entire series. I'm like, dude, it's been six games. No, he didn't playoffs. have one. They said they said he's only had one recently. He got thrown out of a game earlier in the series, they said. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so you got to love it. Um, Sheed was a gift I kept on giving. Okay, so I think we need to talk about how the Lakers won this game despite some of these numbers that I'm going to read to you right now. Okay. They shot 20 of 37 from the free throw line. They turned it over 13 times. They only made 20 of 37, threes. and by the way, most of those misses were not Shaquille O'Neal. No, Shaq went 8 of 12. 8 for 12, which is <laughs> anyone else that's basically shooting 100%. His first four points were on free throws, and when he couldn't get into the flow of the game, he was just like trying to destroy the rim by throwing the basketball in it. And it was going in, and I was like, holy shit. But Kobe, I mean, dude, he went <laughs> 6 of 12 from the free throw line. Sheesh. And, you, and it was funny because they were talking about how he was getting to the gym. and Shooting early. It was like, when is he exactly? Is like, when is he going to do this? I'm like, well, how do we know he's going to do this? And, of course, he becomes later in his career one of the most clutch free throw sh- and best free throw shooters of all time. But with those kind of numbers, man, how did they win this game? The only thing you can really look at is Sabonis. The two biggest things were Sabonis fouling out. I think they should have managed his minutes a little bit better. Although, clearly, they didn't trust trust Brian Grant or, obviously, Jermaine O'Neal. And that, that, 14, that 14 straight missed shots where they basically just went brain dead for, for a four-minute stretch there. 
did do you think that they just took and credit their to the Lakers the for hanging around? Oh, absolutely. Do, do you think that it was that they just took their foot off the gas pedal, or was it really just one of those fluke things where just all of a sudden you're on the road and the sky is falling and you don't know how to? And you I don't think know how the to thing. Well, the thing that just had a big impact on it, and my biggest impact was Sabonis fouling out because that clogged the paint for them. Once Shaq got in there in the middle, it was over. I think yeah. that's the biggest thing by far, the most glaring thing. Because if you anybody wants to go back and watch this game for the first three and a half quarters, Shaq is standing at, and they keep mentioning like, oh, the big man doesn't have any blocks. Oh, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, no shit because he's at the top of the key. Right. And, and he I only had that. through he only had through three and a half quarters five rebounds. Again, because he's standing at the top of the key. Yeah, they this was probably the worst matchup the Lakers could have had and probably that they did have as they went on to go on that three peat. But Kobe, you could see it was still it was getting there, right? I mean he needed to become more you wanted to rein in that assertiveness and that aggression. You didn't want to take it away because he did have that dog in him and that little Still only 22 years old. Exactly. But you could see how badly he wanted it. And even though he was trashed from the line and, and made some and shot some egregiously terrible shots, he did make some huge ones down the stretch. I mean, he had yeah. that sequence where he made two free throws. Hit, comes back the next possession, hits a jumper, and then he has that oop to Shaq. Yeah, the crossover on Pippen. That's at about yep. 41 seconds where every single – right when the playoffs start and they play that highlight reel or the finals or whatever, it's always that. Shaq pointing up to wherever he was with his mouth wide open and whatever. Um, and, yeah, I mean, you're right. It's a perfect balance of sometimes Kobe wants it a little too much, but you don't want to lose that assertiveness. Where sometimes it's to his detriment how badly he wants it because he's going to go and do it himself. Yeah, and it took him years to get to that point, right? Because one thing that, and I, I know you know that, but one thing people don't talk about enough is as that rift was really bad between Shaq and Kobe, and it looked like it was going to end, Kobe has just an awful performance in the 4 finals because he's just tr- doing everything on his own and doesn't think Shaq or anybody else is good enough to be to be given the opportunity by him. And he has to endure a couple of really bad years in L.A. and Phil trashing him till he's able to get Gasol and a couple of those other guys, Ron Artest, Metta World Peace, then at the time. Well, not to mention, to not to mention he also has the um, – the sexual assault or rape or whatever you want to call it, a case going against him at that time as well. Yep. So he yeah. pretty much had the, the deck stacked against him. He did. And he comes out the other side, obviously, as one of the greatest champions in professional sports history. And I think you get to see the blossom of that because if they lose that game and he has numbers like that, that could have really... Obviously, then there's no three-peat. I could have derailed him. For sure. Because the one thing about Jordan was he would have that attitude, but he never, A, had those games. No. Jordan showed up every single time. And, B, early in Jordan's career, they were never the team that was supposed to win. Well, there was no Shaq to Kobe for Jordan. Right. And, like, they were never favored against the Celtics or the Pistons. So... He, 
he didn't really have it stacked up against him. Whereas Kobe, it's like if you put in a performance like this and you don't win against a team you probably should have beat because you had one of the five best players. I mean, this was a great cast of players that Portland had and far more deep. But they didn't have a Shaq. Pippen, at this point in his career, was not you know one of the ten best players in the league anymore. No, Shaq was a top five. Shaq was probably at this point with Jordan out of the league a top what two player in the league? Who possibly you go with him and Duncan. I was going to say you probably have Duncan right there. And Kobe's Kobe's probably a top ten player at this point, moving his right. way after this season into probably a top five. Right. Yeah, I'd have to go back and look. I mean, you still had Malone and Stockton at this point. Um, yeah, but following this year, or no, far, I'm sorry, they they stayed together for a little too long, the Jazz, because Malone didn't come over to L.A. until 2004. Right, him and Gary Payton were both hired guns. Yeah. They came over in 04, and they didn't quite win, but nope. exactly. Everything, the history of the Lakers and the history of Kobe being Kobe that we know could have completely not happened if they don't find a way to win this game. But you know what? It turned out the way it should have, and sometimes you just need a little bit of luck with these things involved. Well, like what you were saying when we were talking about the Jordan dog, right? Fate plays a big role in it. Whether you're a religious person, spiritual person, doesn't matter. You, Every team that wins, there's some kind of break or some kind of feel to it, right? Like we've seen enough Yankee championships – and I've seen some UConn years and Giants years, and I'm like, there's no way this should be happening, but you kind of just get on board. And that seemed to be the Lakers this first year because they didn't peak yet. Yeah. But they got some breaks in this game, and they and they rode with them, so kudos. I mean, every single dynasty you could say that about. I mean, even if you go and look at the Bulls, the first time, they weren't supposed to beat the Lakers the first time in 90, what was it, 2? 91, yeah. No, they caught a lot of breaks. Yep. And that's just the way it is, man. But at the end of the day, I think this one went the way it should have. I was just, I was found myself rooting for Portland a lot in this game. They had a fun team. Yeah. They really did. And you knew Pippen really. I mean, Pippen was not trying to be the alpha, which I kind of liked because that's. He knows that his he, role. He's the ultimate exactly I know my role guy for his entire career. There was one time he didn't know his role. <laughs> and, and everybody talks about it. And you know what? Yep. Even then he knew his role because he was the best player on that team. And maybe he did deserve that shot. But Phil Jackson went with the best play at that time. Yep, absolutely. And, and Portland, I think, had the chance to hang in there simply because Scotty was being Scotty and he wasn't trying to be MJ. But maybe they could have used a little bit of uh, Scotty as MJ in this game. It, it was a fun game to watch. Out of the three we've watched so far, I know we've done a first round, a second round, and now a conference finals game. Which has been your favorite that we've watched so far? Oh, this one. I mean, the first one was just absolutely atrocious. It, it was just watching... It was watching a bar fight mixed with a basketball... Mixed with sometimes people shooting hoops. Um, yeah. The second one, I thought there was just so many bullshit foul calls and whatnot that it, it just kind of ruined the flow for me. And then you have the all-time silly play by Manu, although Manu's made so many smart plays at the end of the day, he's still going to be a Hall of Famer. This one was the game where there's nobody to blame except really Portland going. Oh, the, the team, Portland lost this game. 
They you know, there's no didn't. outside sources. It was an incredible game to watch. It's not choppy and shitty and slow. Like, there's a great flow to it. This was my favorite game by far. I agree with this you. This was the and, first and, game where I watched the entire thing through and I didn't check to see how much time was left because I was like, ah, <laughs> oh, fuck, I hope this is over soon. I like, can't this, take this anymore. This was the first one where I watched that whole game, like, riveted. It was a really fun one because of where the teams were, too, because you knew Portland had this, this, like you said, you found yourself rooting for them. They had this group of guys that you just felt good about, and then you had two dominant forces in Kobe and Shaq and some familiar faces from previous championship teams. Phil seemed to have a couple a lot of, of bulls his guys. Yep. Phil is the all-time, like, once you're my guy, you're always my guy. Belichick's right up there, too. Yeah. But you're right, and I, I thought that it was just a fun – it was a fun evaluation while watching a good game of just where two teams were at their point in their franchise's history where really things could have been very different as we played them out. I don't think either of the other games had that kind of levity. The other thing I'm going to point out, and I wonder if you agree here, I loved Costas doing this game. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I mean, he had, uh, we've heard a lot of Costas recently because he did he did some of the Bulls games as well. And he was also um, featured a lot early in that documentary. Well, he was always the studio guy, and Marv was the was the TV guy. But this was when Marv was going through some some bad uh, personal stuff, and he had to step away. What was it? Assault on a prostitute or something? Yep. <laughs> nah, not good. Not good. No. So you know, he has to. Marv has to go away for a little bit. So Casas comes out of the studio, and he's doing the broadcast. I think Casas doing baseball games is about as pure as it gets. Like. You know, that's his sport. I mean, he's done everything under the sun. He's done NFL. He's done Olympics. He's done basketball. He's obviously done baseball forever. Mm -hmm. I love him on MLB Network. He's a classic. But I thought I really enjoyed him. It seemed like he had a great flow for the game. He let his, his, his analysts do their jobs. And I thought he was just a pro. I, I could have gone for some more podcasts on NBA on NBC. Definitely wouldn't mind it. One of the greatest announcers of all time. I mean, he's done everything. Olympics, every single major American sport, he's done it. I mean, shit, I wouldn't be surprised if he had a little soccer tucked in there. You never know. <laughs> I think he's great. Me too, man. This was a fun game. So I got a little pop culture for you. So this game took place on June 3rd of 2000. There were two number. There were two songs. Uh, lobbying for number one at the time okay real slim shady oh i didn't get to guess thanks and then i'll let you guess the second one prominent female artist prominent prominent britney spears yes hit me baby nope what's another hit uh give it to me the name of uh the name of her album I can't remember it. Oops, I did it again. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> that song. Oh, God. So you got that song, and then you had Eminem who released his second album, uh, the Slim Shady LP that year. Uh, yep. And the title, uh, the Real Slim Shady, was the number one song at the time tied with Oops, I Did It Again. Um, you want to take a guess at the top album of that year? D- to that time? 
It was just for all of 2000. Britney Spears, Oops, I Did It Again. Nope. No? It was up there, but that was not number one. Was it a rap album? Nope. Think pop. Pop. Boy band? Yep. Backstreet Boys or NSYNC? NSYNC. NSYNC. Okay, I forgot the names of their albums. No strings attached, accumulated nearly 9.94 million in sales during, 9.9 million sales that year. Sheesh. This was the good old days before they were talking about streams and whatnot. I know, I know. Um, couple big TV uh, premieres for Can you. Can you give me the number one show on TV? It's uh, like, I, I've asked you it every, every single time and you haven't got me the answer yet. I've got you. Yes. Malcolm in the Middle. Really? Huh. Yeah. With yeah. Frankie, Frankie Muniz? Frankie Muniz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It okay. had just premiered uh, the month before and it was the number one show in the country at that time in June. Wow. Okay. Just premiered like season one? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. What so it was you. you so, it, so you also got some Gilmore Girls, which I'm sure you're a big fan of. I've watched plenty. Uh, see, I knew it. I actually you have. Some, I believe you. I believe you. Not a bad show. I th- I've seen it at times. I never hated it. Yeah. Um, Survivor debuted. Well, I think Survivor's still going on to this day. So that's a dynasty in itself right there. Another one for you. Another dynasty is CSI. That debuted that year. <sighs> I mean, how many spinoffs do they have of that? They got 30? CSI fucking, you know. They got Miami. C- they got CSI um, fucking Florida, whatever. CSI Westchester County, CSI the second and third. They went into Westchester County just as uh, Corona popped. Yeah, absolutely. And then Curb Your Enthusiasm debuted its first season as well. Nice. Love that show. So you got to love that. Uh, top movie. I'm going to do a better job giving you guesses than last time. Right? <laughs> At really least get just, the lead actor right, please. I'm going to get you the lead actor Is Nicolas right. Cage in it? <laughs> That's not Nicolas Cage. It's uh, Tom Cruise. Mission Impossible, the first one? Second one. Second one? Shit. I didn't, I thought, I didn't know it was that early. Okay. Grossing fifty-seven million eight hundred forty-five thousand in the box office during that week. Oh, wow, that's a lot. That's a big number. It's a day, man. Those movies were those movies were good. Yeah, Tom I mean, Cruise can kick some ass. I, I like I like a lot of his movies. I don't quite love this guy, but I definitely <laughs> love a lot of his movies. Yeah, he he's kind of a loon, but I don't know. I, his movies are good. No Scientology for me. No, um, I'm out on that. Yeah, yeah, no, I. Not, not signing up for that. Uh, a little sports for you, Tom. Uh, Rams beat the Titans that year for their uh, first Super Bowl. That was the greatest show on turf. Yes, sir. Um, Dale uh, Dale Jarrett. I've never heard of him. Won the Daytona 500. Never heard of Dale Jarrett? Nope. Huh. You? I've heard the name. Okay. Couldn't tell you what he did. I With a name <laughs> like Dale Jarrett, I would have guessed it was NASCAR, though. If you're going to say Dale Jarrett sports... NASCAR is your guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, Michigan State uh, beat Florida in the Final Four, so Izzo got his first and only, I believe, right? Yep. So um, so that happened in uh, early uh, April. VJ Singh won the Masters. Yes. Oklahoma won the College Football National Championship. Stoops. And then as we – yep. He was – that was uh, – 
He had two. Yeah. So that he was one first. Little, I think he had one in 04 as well, maybe? Yeah, it was the year um, before the USC kind of dynasty. Yep, and then obviously the Yankees won the World Series. Um, yep, Yankees won the World Series. They beat the Mets. They won their third in a row, fourth in five years. The Lakers went on to beat the Pacers in the finals, and the Devils beat the Stars in the Stanley Cup. Nice. So a lot going on in 2000, man. Those are some glory days. <laughs> I could wish I could go back right now. <laughs> so badly. So badly. Man, so what's going on with you? I think we, uh, you want to talk a little bit about sports and what, what we're hearing? Yeah, so I mean there has been some uh, some actual sports going on. I don't know if you watched it last week, but they had the uh, driving, relief, driving Relief, I believe it was called, by Taylor Maid. It was... Um, um, what was it? Dustin Johnson and Rory McIlroy against the Oklahoma State boys of Ricky Fowler and Matthew Wolf. Um, I watched almost every second of it. I couldn't get enough. The golf was not very good. I'm not going to lie to you. They looked rusty, but it was just good to see something where I didn't know the result. Yeah, that was really cool, too. Uh, I didn't watch it, um, but I heard from people that watched it that said it was kind of weird without the spectators, in addition to the quality of golf, not that great. Well, the most interesting thing was that they didn't have caddies, so they had to carry their own clubs. I thought that was pretty cool. I think that that's something that could keep going. I mean, we always talk about golfers as athletes. Are they not athletes? Are they athletes? Both of these guys are athletes. I know they're walking 18, but, I mean, if you can carry your bag a little bit, I mean, why not, right? I don't know. I played golf... Uh, Last weekend, and my back was killing me from carrying my bag. But you're not in great shape. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> but if you got into elite, if, you, if I were to tell you today, when we go you think John Daly's in elite shape? I mean, it's the same thing as baseball. Like, was David Ortiz in elite shape? No, but they're, they're playing, you know, 162 games a year minimum. And running bases and whatnot. What I'm going to say is, if I if we hang up this this phone and we we call the podcast quits for today, and I say, Tom, all you need to do is get into shape to play golf for four for Thursdays through Sundays, and you start in two months, and you're going to do that for six months. You can. Would you be able to carry your own bag? Obviously, I could do it in two weeks. I love it. Just give me a little bit of time to get in shape and actually care. But with that being said, we got a bigger one coming up. I believe it's this Sunday. I'm sure you know about this one. This I'm going to watch this one. 2.0. Um, and honestly, Corona is the only thing that would have brought this about. It is Tom Brady and who is it? Tom and Tiger against uh, Phil yeah, and Peyton. Yep. Um, I mean, only in fucking Corona does this shit happen where you get this kind of star power on the golf course and it's televised. Um, but I, I am, I, I'm giddy about it. I'm going to be watching this shit because mm-hmm. I think this is going to just be so fun. We've already seen the trash talk back and forth between the golfers and the quarterbacks. I think this is going to be really fun. And you're right, only Corona could have brought this on, but... We've seen, we have to see things get creative, right? I mean, we've done it. We've been creative as hell during this time. Yep. We need to see sports do the same thing. They'll socially distance appropriately. I want to see them do some cool – I know they're playing four ball, right? 
I think that's the arrangement yeah. that they that they've come up with. I want to see different like skills challenges. Like I would love to see like Phil and Tiger like try to have to throw a football through something or something like yeah. that. Like, why not? I don't know. Break don't it all know. out. I don't know. I'm excited to see it. Both of these guys that are not the pros are avid golfers themselves. Who do you have winning this thing? Oh, I'm giving it to to Tom and Tiger. Yeah. Well, I mean, Phil's got, I believe, three majors. Uh, Let's take a look. Phil Mickelson has also an insider trading scandal under his belt. Tiger doesn't have one of those, but Tiger also has the huge (laughs) cheating thing. Not anymore. What? (laughs) I mean, he hasn't had that in a while. But I'm just saying career. We're talking career here. Okay. Um, he's got five major. He's got five wins in majors. Obviously, Peyton has the two Super Bowls. I was only going to give him one, but then I remember um, he won the second one riding the coattails of the Denver Broncos defense, right? Yep, but it goes down as a win. Hey, absolutely. And then um, Tiger Woods has how many majors? A million? 14 or 15, right? Um, let's see. Tiger Woods has um, 15 majors, and Tom Brady <laughs> has six Super Bowls. Yep, give me that. So 21 versus seven. Yep, I like those. I like those numbers. All right, so you're going with you're going with Phil and Tom, or sorry, excuse me, Tiger and Tom. Yes, sir. All right, I'm going with Phil. Phil won it last time, and I'm going with Peyton. I love it. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Phil is better in these skins matches, from what I've heard, from what I've read. And also, also, Tom Brady was playing football last year. Peyton Manning's been retired for, what, three seasons now? Yeah, like four, I think. He's had a lot more time to work on his golf game, and I expect him to be better. Okay. So, what do you want to make the wager for? Since we haven't paid up on any of our debts thus far. No, no. Obviously, we are not. Uh, and especially now in quarantine, there's really nothing. Uh, we got to do something monetary, right? Like a little Venmo thing. Yeah, a little $5 Venmo. I, th- I like it. Let's do it. For a $5 bill. All right. You have Tiger. Just to give us a little skin in the game, you have Tiger yeah. and Tom. I've got Phil and Peyton. Um, Excellent. And to be honest, just to make it interesting, I, if you had picked Phil and Peyton, I would have gone Tiger and Tom. But either way, I'm going to be ready hey, for one, my guys. One, one of these pairings is going to win. And yeah. we'll both be watching, which will be a good time. Yes, sir. Um, and like you said, live sports, you know, in any kind of way, we can get it back. I'm all for it. Sure. Would you take a Blake Snell's comments last week? With, and Bryce Harper backing him up, and Bryce Harper you said it was starting to sour on you now. So why I hate Bryce Harper. I just don't like Bryce. I don't hate him. I don't know him, but like Bryce Harper, like thanks for chiming in second. I respect Blake Snell for speaking his mind and and saying what a lot of players probably felt what needed to be said in some of their opinions. I don't respect Bryce Harper. Where he just goes, somebody needed to say it. Okay, thanks, dude. Thanks for your input, bro. Very wise of you. So first of all, <laughs> I'm going to say, fuck off, Bryce Harper. Arenado was a little more, I don't want to say educated, but a little more thoughtful in his statement. And Snell, 
I mean, part of me says, you know what? I totally respect it. But part of me is like, bro, like two weeks ago, you were saying that Corona was just a bad case of the flu. Let's play baseball. But then, God forbid, they said, oh, you're only going to make half the money because you're only going to play half the season. And then he goes, oh, I don't want to risk my life. Like, either be a little more calculated with your delivery of this or just come up with a better message than you don't want to risk your life because two weeks ago you didn't even respect Corona for what it is. I couldn't agree with you more. And also, the other thing that pisses me off, and maybe I'm getting the details wrong here, but so if I work, you know, if I work for 40 hours a week, I'm going to get paid for 40. But if I only work 20 hours that week, am I still going to get paid for 40? Uh, Well, I think it would depend, again, on what the structure of your contract is and what your... Well, these players are agreeing, barring injury, to play 162 games. Not to mention... Not to mention that it says what the, when they signed on March 26th, it says that they are going to revisit this and have a conversation about it. I think that the biggest thing is this. I don't think Snell is necessarily wrong, nor do I think the rest of the players are wrong in having these sentiments. Because you, you are the ones that are going to be asked to play and, you know, endure certain health risks. I also I think like that, I also think that you talk about the lockout in 94 and, and you just talk about baseball in general and the owners since the early days in the early 1900s have been fucking over the players every single chance they get. So there is a there's a very strong distrust between the players union and the owners. So I, I, I understand where this is coming from. There's no stronger hatred between a, a union and professional sports and owners than baseball. And you don't have to tell me football because everybody knows that CBAs are getting done in football. That's just how it is. In baseball, the play, the union is the strongest out of all the professional sports and you know, the owners never have to open their books, and when contracts are doled out or, you know, teams are slashing payroll, the players really kind of just are at mercy of the owner saying, this is how much money we have, this is how much we can allocate to the team on the field. Mm-hmm. What bothers me about what Snell said, more so than anything, is I don't want this to be... Don't use the health concerns as a as a defense mechanism for what you're being asked to play for. What I mean by that is you could be, if you're that concerned about the health risks, whether you're making your full salary or prorated salary, you shouldn't want to play because it's too, it's too scary. So what it seems to me is, Oh, I'll play for all my money and risk it. But now, well, well, that's my now thing. I'm worried. Now I'm risking my life because I have to play for four and a half million instead of twenty one million. You know, and and that, sure, I, that I think is a bad taste. I'll tell you what, man. I'm sure that he got a phone call and a stern talking to from whoever the union rep is. Isn't it the Tony former Clark. Tony Clark, former Yankees yeah. DH? Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure he got a stern talking to because they kind of have some egg on their face. I respect him speaking from the heart, but sometimes you need to think think about what you're going to say before you say it. He was kind of off the cuff there because he's got a lot of egg on his face along with the players' union. But 
his idea and his sentiments are felt and by me, and I think that they're right. I just think the way he went about saying it was wrong. Because there's other players like Sean Doolittle where his Doolittle where his wife has serious health concerns. And yep. for me, when you talk about it like that, I guess you truly are risking your 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 wife's well being by going out there and playing. And and it opens up a whole nother can of worms because it's like, okay, if the MLB season does go on, Sean Doolittle loses Although he just won the World Series with the Nationals and he's a multi-time all-star, right? He loses uh-huh. a year of playing time. He gets replaced ultimately, and he may never find another job in Major League Baseball again. So it puts him in a really difficult place, right? But for Blake Snell to go out and say it without any thought like Sean Doolittle had, where he just says, I'm concerned about my health, two weeks after he says that the coronavirus is just a bad flu, it doesn't look very good. No, and, I, and I wish that not only him, but some of these players had thought about what they were going to say and maybe talk to a PR person because they're great at baseball, but some of them aren't great public speakers. Let's be real. Well, what I love about what you're saying right now is it, it kind of it, it makes me reaffirm how my stance on players are with social media. And by that, I mean, listen, I, I don't I don't really use social media all that much. You know, it's not my personal thing. But let's think about it this way. If you're going to be on Twitch and you're going to say something that has a lot of gravity, a lot of levity, something that's very important that everyone's going to hear, you are going to sound so much different than you would if you were on SportsCenter or if you were doing an Instagram Live with, you know, um, Jeff Passan or something like that. You know, like, so when you come out and you say this and you don't sound thoughtful you don't sound intelligent you don't sound like a very compassionate person you're going you're also saying it on a platform where everybody's going to think that these are your true colors because you're not saying it you know exactly so you can't come out on sports center the next day and say well what i really meant was this that no what you really meant is what you said on your social media because that's when people are at their most real that came off the cuff and and that's my thing. I mean, social media, we've probably spoken about it on here before. It brings a lot of good and a lot of bad. I'm sure Blake Snell, especially during this quarantine, has made himself a shit ton of money based off social media. I mean, I believe he's the one who won the tournament where all the players played against each other on mm-hmm. Twitch, on MLB The Show, playing the players, by the way. It's still in the works, that I that big money idea I had. Um, I like it. Yeah, I had to reference that with talking about video games and Twitch. Obviously, I'm a genius. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm sure he's made himself a shit ton of money, and he's definitely garnered a following. I mean, he plays in Tampa Bay. Probably, unless you're an avid baseball fan like you yourself or myself, nobody really knew who Blake Snell was. He's not a judge. He's not, I don't know, Cody Bellinger or Mookie Betts. big market. Yeah, he, he's he's in the smallest market, probably top five smallest market in baseball. Don't get me wrong, he's a former Cy Young winner and he's fucking nasty, but nobody knows who he is. He's made a big name for himself now. But then on the yeah. other side, he's made a big name for himself. That's a positive of social media, but he's also made an ass of himself because he was too candid. That's a negative of social media. So what do you do there? Here's the biggest thing that I have concern about. All right, so after bringing this whole thing to light, let's just talk about how how it's going to look. Right now, 
the the you know the pettiness, the anger, the animosity between the players and owners that's being brought to life in you know the public sphere is shitty for both sides, and they have to get they have to get a deal done now, in my opinion, because let's talk about it like this. You and I, I remember bringing it up to you last week, and you're like, so what? You know, they don't play this year. I'm watching again next year. Well, you and I are going to watch. The more I thought about that, you're right. I was wrong with that that comment. They're not worried about us, man. Like, they've got us. We'll watch. We'll be ready. And we might be pissed. And we might think they're selfish. We're still going to watch. We might think all these things we're going to watch. And we're going to be going to games once it's safe and all that, right? But here's the thing with baseball. It's a dying sport. Whoever wins in this race, and I obviously say that tongue-in-cheek, because these, everybody's trying to figure out the safest and best way to get sports back up and running. But whoever wins this kind of race to be the first sport back is going to have such an advantage at, at getting new fans who are watching this for really the first time because it's actual live sports that, like you've mentioned before, work starving for it. And if baseball doesn't come back when they should or could, you know, we're here in the NBA now in mid, maybe mid-July, same with the NHL. NFL is still, still scheduled to go on as so. If baseball doesn't come back in early July, not because of health problems, but because of they couldn't reach a deal between millionaires and billionaires, they're not getting up from this. I, I don't think that you can. Because I do think then a lot of the casual fans are like, well, fuck this. Like, Everything I hear that's bad about baseball or just got confirmed. These guys have no sensitivity to the fact that the unemployment rate, their percentage is almost 30. The fact that, you know, however many countless people have died or have been affected by this terrible disease, and you're not going out and playing because you can't agree, you're afraid that a soft salary cap is going to come in. That That is just a look that is so heinous. That so many people, man, are just... I mean, we think of all the fans the sport lost after 94. They needed McGuire and Sosa and steroid order to help it. I don't yeah. know if there's going to be another saving grace like that if they don't come back and play this year from it. I think they just need to cooler heads need to prevail. They need to get this shit figured out, and they need to play a season. I don't care what the parameters are. I don't care where they fucking play it. I know it's not going to be in front of fans. It's going to be a weird optic. All sports are, but they better get it done. If they don't get it done, I don't see how this works. I don't. I couldn't agree with you more. And here's the thing with MLB for me. I think cooler heads need to prevail, like you said. But I think of the major sports, here's the thing. I, I kind of view I kind of view the NFL like China. Basically, the players are starved to play because they don't have guaranteed contracts. And what, what Goodell says goes, and when they want to play, they're going to play, right? So you kind of got to get rid of that one because their union is by far the weakest. And when, when, the, when they kick off, either you're in or you're out, and all the major players are going to be in, so we don't care about that. When it comes to the MLB and the NBA, the difference is, is the fact that the NBA has an adult in the room, right? Over everybody mm-hmm. else. They have Adam Silver, who takes a consensus, is incredibly thoughtful, and takes every single person's opinion that matters into account, and he makes a decision based off of that. I don't really trust right. Mob, Rob Manfred to do that. And, and that's the issue. I mean... I agree. I and I think that the and I don't really trust fucking Tony Clark or whatever lawyer they have representing them on the other side to do that either. 
And that's the problem is I don't think there's an adult in the room and they're fighting over the pettiest fucking things right now between the owners and the players. And you know who's going to win out at the end of the day? The billionaires. Because if there's a pause on the season and they don't make any money, well, guess what? They don't fucking lose any money either. Exactly. And I think, too, is... And some of these owners, I think, are intentionally stalling. And they're distracting them by saying, look at this shiny thing over here. Let's argue about that instead of arguing about what actually matters, which clearly is the money. Right. I think because the proposal that MLB sent out, a lot of the health thing, a lot of the health protocols were agreed upon. I know MLB, the Players Association, sent back a counterproposal to the league office, and I know they're just hashing out a couple of little things, but all that stuff can be figured out. Okay, yeah, but they're arguing about semantics. They're arguing about showers and shit. Like, come on. I know. I know. And and I think, you know, you were about to hit on, you you did hit on a good point. I think that there's even more to go about it. You said there's not an adult in the room, and I agree. I think the biggest problem is, is that the relationship between, we don't, I don't even know who the player union president is I think it's Kyrie now, right? It was Chris Paul, but that goes to no. Show it's still Chris that, Paul. Is it? I yeah. know Kyrie got Kyrie did get elected back in like February, which really? was surprising because I didn't think anybody really liked him. So no, maybe yeah. it's still Chris Paul through this season. But check check into that because I, I know he got elected by the players to to be president of the Players Association. But uh, I think that's either for the next CBA or when Chris Paul's run ends. That's up. either way. Yeah, I know, right? Especially Either for you. Way, he can barely figure... He's got too much shit going on in his brain already. Well, Chris, it's interesting because Chris Paul has not been lauded as a great teammate either in a lot of Good his point. stops. But, uh, but I digress. The biggest thing is, to me, the relationship between the key players... On Google right now, there's one that says, is Chris Paul good at basketball? <sighs> I hate the internet. Um... <laughs> But, yeah, so, uh, you know, the relationship between the top stars in the game. He's the vice president, my friend. Is huge. Kyrie is? Yeah. He replaced Pau Gasol. Okay. Gotcha, gotcha. So it's still still Chris Paul is present. Gotcha. Thanks for clearing that up. So, um, you know, the relationship there between the commissioner and the union is so strong because the best players and most influential players in the game are so tight with him and they have legitimate conversations and, and silver is incredibly I agree thoughtful. with you i agree with you the players but don't the other have thing a relationship with manfred but the other thing is that i think adam silver has a lot to do with that as well i think he no has, i agree and i don't think manfred is that kind of commissioner and i just think that as the commissioner your job is to keep this league going and growing it and whatnot, it's not the player's responsibility to develop that relationship with the stars. I think it's Manfred and in the NBA, Silver's responsibility to develop that relationship. I think the other big deal with comparing the two is the NBA doesn't have, aside from that lockout in 99, you know, that got figured out. I know there was another one in 2011, but generally speaking, even David Stern was very much in tune with the stars, right? And, and the owners have never really been had a fractured relationship with the players. They'd argue about you know pay scales and rookie pay scales and whatever, but the MLB forever has had the most contentious union to league relationship in the history of professional sports. Absolutely. So 
so they, they, I don't even think Manfred has a chance because the players already know that the owners are hiding information from them. Yeah, absolutely. I don't, I don't really blame Manfred here. I mean, I, I don't think Manfred's the world's greatest commissioner by any means. But you're really you're setting this guy behind the eight ball because, honestly, I hate to say it, but the owners are scumbags. A lot of them have been because they've never had to open their books and show their true No, they haven't. And the other thing that they're doing is they're causing these little minuscule arguments to distract the players, waste time before it gets to be too late, which, I don't know, you tell me, what month do you think it's just like, let's pack this thing in and we're going to have to revisit this next year? Is it is it starting in September? If, no, if they, don't, if they don't start the season by mid-July, they're not playing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, I agree because you look at it and it's going to get too cold for them. Yeah, and they don't – the logistics of trying to find neutral sites and what it's going to be like and doing all that, and then you're going to have to deal with the NFL and maybe the NBA. I mean, you're just – you just can't do it. You've and you want to know the other thing – Half your season in. The other thing that differs from the NBA to the MLB – the NBA and the NFL to the, to the MLB is that – a lot of these owners on paper are rich, but when it comes to liquid in the MLB, there's like a bunch. As Look at the most recent Dodgers owner that are on the verge, if not yes. already, bankrupt. Like every yeah. single NBA owner and most of the NFL owners are fucking billionaires on paper, liquid, this, that, and the third. They are very rich human beings, and they are not worried about their franchises. Or the values of their franchises where, like, look at the most recent Dodgers owner. The guy was bankrupt, barring against the franchise, barring against yeah, every, every single thing he owned. And don't get me wrong, I don't feel bad for him at all because when he flipped the Dodgers, he made, what, $5 billion? So I don't really give a fuck about him. But my point is that these guys that actually own the team, when it comes to liquid cash and debt, and assets to debt ratios, they are not looking good, my friend. They are very no. close. No, and I think the biggest issue with that was for a long time, Bud Selig gave ownership stakes to people he was friends with. Yeah. Not necessarily the best or most profitable owners. No, yeah, not the, the, NBA, not the owners that are going to – not the owners that are the best quote-unquote businessmen that are going to grow this franchise, grow the value of it, and also keep their books fucking clean and, and be able to figure this out. He gave it to everybody he had, and how many franchises over the last 20 years have been fucked? So, is baseball coming back? Yes, I think it will. I think the vast, I think we have a, I think we have a small minority that's really loud. Maybe Blake Snell doesn't play, you know, or, or Harper or whatever, but I think ultimately baseball does come back because I think everyone's going to realize that, I think at some point they're going to have a come-to-Jesus moment where they realize before... I guess mid-July, that if they don't come back, that baseball may never be the same again, that that they might end up just being soccer. I'm in total agreement with you for all the reasons you just laid out. It, I think what we've seen now over the last week is that they might not agree, but the irreparable damage that it could be done, that could be done to the sport if they don't figure out a way to get this done because of money, all of these teams are going to be bankrupt. All of their salaries are going to be gone because the mistrust that already exists in a lot of fans' eyes 
between the players and the owners is going to hit levels that we've never seen before. Here's the and thing. Baseball is just, it's not getting up from that, and I think everybody knows it. Here's my thing. I think that playing this season means you're going for the lesser evil, right? So I think if you play this season, there's going to be a shit ton of animosity for the players against the owners, and it may not blow over until the next series of players come in, maybe not even then. So it may be going on for the next 30 years, right? But I think Mm -hmm. if you don't play this season, baseball may cease to exist as we know it in the next 10 years. So you're going for a lesser evil. Very well said. Couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, Couldn't agree more. I I think that they know what's at stake now because of the public backlash that's come to guys like Snell and the owners playing this out as kind of a chess piece, you know, in the media leaking things, you know, to make the players look like the bad. They all look bad. If baseball doesn't come back, I don't know anybody who's going to side with the players. And to, quite frankly, nobody should side with the owners because it's on both. The egg is on both of their faces. The, the totality of the situation is too bad. And the fact that they couldn't agree over what's pennies, really, when the world really needs some kind of jolt. And the American economy and the American pride really needs a jolt. I mean, like I said before, the first sport that comes back is going to have unprecedented levels of success and popularity. And baseball has a golden opportunity to not fuck up. Yeah, and you know what? The other thing that looks really bad here for MLB is the fact that they're arguing about money. The NFL and the NBA are arguing about safety and things like that. But when and it's not vicious either. No, they they are just trying, basically trying to figure it out. But the MLB, it is vicious, and ultimately, we unless you're a blind man, you you can't see, you can see that it's about money. And guess what? The person who's unemployed, and there's more people unemployed in this country right now than there ever has been, or the people that can't afford their next meal, do not give a fuck whether or not Blake Snell makes eight million dollars this year or sixteen or whatever he's owed. And that looks Absolutely. really fucking bad. It really does. And as a guy it, who, a baseball was my first love, my favorite sport. I grew up loving it. I've said on this pod I love basketball more, but baseball was the first sport I ever loved, whatever. It fucking sucks because they look like shit from every angle. And and I think I'm I'm like, fuck this at this point. I know. I, I, I've been losing hope and you know, excitement and joy of possible season every day because it's just, it, it does. I mean, I think that we're both points in our lives, right? Where we still hold on to that fandom. I mean, we laugh at each other all the time talking about, Oh, you're a fanboy yeah. or you're this or that, but we are, I mean, we've loved this sport and grown up with this sport and loved the players and loved the team for our whole lives. And we followed it. We want, when we were younger, we'd watch a hundred, 62 of 162 games and now we make enough money to maybe go to a playoff game or a couple regular season games a year and it's Mm -hmm. fun as hell and we do a a podcast talking about it but we're also adults and contemporaries of a lot of these guys as 28 25 year olds 26 year olds and recognize that business is important and that we don't ever want to be taken advantage by our jobs either but if we work jobs where we brought a release and a and a distress, you know, or a, you know, a stressless situation 
to people who are stressed out, angry, and irritable, and depressed. Not to mention if we work jobs where we made multi, multi million dollars. Right, and listen, I'm never gonna tell players. I'm never gonna get on that. Like, I'm never like they they get paid that money because they have a talent that no one else. No, and I I I agree with you, but my thing is like. Of course, I'm going to pick the millionaires over the billionaires, and I'm going to root for the players to get the W on this one. But at the end of the day, I'm sorry, Blake Snell, but I really don't fucking care if you're only going to make half of your millions instead of all of them this year because there's a million people out there right now that just need something like this to get them through because they're making zero. I'll just say this. I do care that you're not getting the money that you owe that you're owed because that sucks but these are uncertain these are unprecedented times and uncertain times and the general public needs you as stupid and as pathetic as that sounds we do as part of the general public i'd like to raise my hand and say we need you guys Mm -hmm. we need you to come back we need you to figure it out i am sorry that you're not getting the money you owe because you know what somebody working in a fast food place or, or somebody working for minimum wage isn't complaining at me you know, get out of my pockets if you're if I'm make if I'm not making the money I should be making. You know, I think it's all relative. I think it's easy for us to say, "Shut up, you're still getting two million dollars." I when you're owed eighteen, I do think that sucks. But I also say, you know, get your shit figured out. This isn't going to be forever, and you're pissing away a great opportunity because the people that do value you as heroes, the younger kids who do look up to you and idolize you, you're going to give them a taste of reality real way too early, and I think that sucks. Yeah. And, I mean, the other thing is, it's like, you've been sitting on your ass playing video games when right now you'd be playing. So do you think you should be compensated as much? When right now you'd have to be grinding, throwing bullpens on the road, stretching, cold tub, hot tub, blah, 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 whatever you want to say, when right now you're playing yep. video games, should you really be equally compensated? No, and again, I think just don't, don't use the safety things. Because if it's about safety, then no amount of money is going to get you to play. Yeah, absolutely. And Blake Snell really, really don't use the safety things when you're on record two weeks earlier saying that this is just a bad case of the flu. If you were scared at the beginning and saying, oh, I'm never leaving my house. I'm really worried about this. I think it's really bad. Fair game. Say that you're scared of it. But you're the one who was saying this was bullshit two weeks earlier. So, I mean, really, I don't want Blake Snell being the voice of MLB players. I'd rather somebody somebody that's much more well-spoken. Yeah, and just like, again, have a little bit. I'm not asking you to, you know, go and open up soup kitchens or donate your salary to relief efforts. Like, I don't even need that. Just recognize what you do. Yes, it's your just job. Have, just have like a social pulse. That's all. Have a, have your exactly. finger on the pulse, my friend. And There's, that's like you know, we're going like, through a fucking epidemic, and you're arguing about how how oh I'm only going to make this many million. Like that's always been my thing. And that players. sucks. Don't get me wrong, but. There's a lot of shittier things going on out there right now. It's always been my stance with players, man. I mean, I remember this year when Kyrie was hurt and he didn't play in the first game back in Boston, and the Boston fans were like, where's Kyrie? And, and he went to Instagram, of course, and had this long thing about how, like, you just look at us as, like, basically, like, entertainment and we have feelings. And it's like, listen, we all know that. And, yeah, I bet it sucks to be constantly interviewed and – critiqued when you don't want to or your personality doesn't say that but you know what you do get you do get paid and you also love making your shoes and you also love selling your likeness to be on the cover of mlb the show or nba 2k or whatever else so you can't have it both ways 
So if, if you if you think that we don't value you as human beings, it's because you are better than us at you know you you possess a skill set that makes you incredibly attractive to us as just the general public. We can't do what you can, and we we don't we 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 get that. So yes, we value you as human beings, but also, I mean, please don't lose sight of the fact that like. It's just not the same thing. You can't have it both ways. That's my biggest thing. Does that make sense? Absolutely, man. They always want their cake and to eat it too, or whatever right. that saying is, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So just uh, end of the story, just get your fucking shit figured out and play baseball in mid-July. As you can see, we're both desperate for some fucking live sports, especially baseball. And I think after me being so adamant about it and you, I just think we're both really nervous about the state of the game. I couldn't agree more because we don't we wouldn't get this fired up if we didn't think it was an actual chance that it won't come back, right? No, and also I don't think we'd be this fired up if we weren't concerned with where baseball is going to be if they don't play. Like NBA and NFL, don't get me wrong, I want them back and it's going to suck if they don't come back. But they're going to be just fine when they get rolling again come the next season. Same thing with even college football. They're going to be just fine. There's so many people starved for that. But baseball is a dying sport, as you said. And it's a, and it's a very arrogant one. It thinks that they Ugh, can kind I of... I fucking do. hate it. It's just and, so and pompous. It, it is. And that's what turns a lot of people off to it. You know, I, I try to explain why I love baseball to non-baseball fans. And I think I do a good job explaining it. But, you know, they just don't get it. And then when shit like this is coming out, it certainly doesn't help my case. So Not at all. It, they just got to get it done, man. Um, so what's on tap for your weekend? Did you get out to the course at all? You playing? I played maybe last Saturday. Um, played a little executive course up by me, a cheap one, because every place is just, as you could imagine, jam-packed. And this one didn't have tee times and didn't encourage. They didn't give a fuck. Honestly, if I asked them what, if I, they knew what Corona was, um, they probably would just say it's a beer. You know, like the way they were acting. It was a little further upstate, um, so you know how they are up there. But wow. my friend and I played played the 12 holes. It's a 12-hole executive course. Um, and we just had a fun leisurely round, you know. Didn't keep score or anything. Just I, I had a couple good shots, a couple bad ones. Um, we did our share of social distancing, but... The, it wasn't really enforced. It was more self-enforced. <laughs> well, um, I'm glad, to keep you, glad you guys are keeping yourselves accountable. That's a good thing. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, good time. Uh, it's The weather's been great recently, so at least we have that going on for us. Um, what about you, man? You've been getting out. I know you're up in the Cape. Do you go to the beach a little bit, or are they still closed? No. I mean, some of them are open, but it's, again, like – you know, people flock to it now because the weather is nice. So I don't really want to put myself in a position where I'm around a shit ton of people. So really, just kind of just been hanging out on the deck and catching up with the folks and watching go. some good movies and just hanging out, man. It's been it's been nice. Yeah, I, I'm I'm fired up for this weekend watching the match. Um, that'll be a fun Sunday. It will. Aside from that, and it'll it'll make up for no last dance anymore, right? Yeah, although last weekend was really fun because I had about four hours of golf leading into that Sunday night of the uh, of the ma- of the um, what's it called the last dance. So that was nice. But I'll take I'll take a little Tiger Woods and the rest of the guys out there. I'm excited for that. Absolutely, man. I am too. So uh, we'll talk again next week. And um, 
Yeah, man. Good talking to you. Yes, sir. Enjoy the rest of your time uh, up in up in the Cape, and I will talk to you soon. Yes, sir. Enjoy your weekend as well, and everybody continue to stay safe. Stay safe. Stay inside, fuckers. <laughs>